Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth, your host of the show, and I'm the founder and CEO of Sisu, the real estate growth automation software. So uh, that's uh, you can find us at sisu.co if you want to learn more about that. And uh, today, my guest on the show is Derek Van Ness. And Derek is a wealth strategist, and uh, he's passionate about helping people reach their full potential. His company is called Big Life Financial, and uh, they are focused on removing the mystery that we all have behind uh, understanding our tax strategies and, uh, <laughs> and money, really. So anyway, I'm excited to have you on the show today, Derek. Is there anything else you want to share regarding your background and your mission? Well, you know, because we're talking real estate today, I do have a pretty extensive real estate background. I was a fix and flipper for many, many years and did about, I think about 175 transactions, buy, oh, fix, awesome. resell, creative financing, lease options, and all of that kind of stuff. Worked with uh, a lot of fantastic real estate professionals along the way. So Real estate's near and dear to my heart and one of my favorite vehicles for building wealth. Uh, it's not usually the first one we teach people, but uh, it is, I think it should be part of everybody's portfolio. So, you know, we're going to be speaking to, to my tribe here today. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Uh, so tell us about your company, first of all, and um, just how did you get into to managing money and, and money strategies? Well, this might sound familiar to a lot of people, but I was going hot and heavy in real estate uh, when 2008 hit, right? I was in Southern California. I had, I think, 16 fix and flips going, and I managed to break a leg while snowboarding right as the mark, as the whole market went in the toilet. So I was laying in bed on painkillers as uh, everything went down the drain. And uh, what got me into the financial side was, you know, I had built this big business. I was making a ton of money and Listen, I, I know this more on the investor side, but I think it definitely happens on the agent side. We get used to these big chunks of money, right? And a lot of people get really good at making money, but they also get really good at spending it. And a lot of real estate professionals that I know, and I'm just totally painting broad strokes here, uh, aren't great at saving money and putting it to work elsewhere outside of their business. And so what happens is you kind of get on this cash flow treadmill. Mm -hmm. Tons of money in, tons of money out, tons of money in, tons of money out. And it's really sexy and it's cool to tell your friends about these big commissions and these big, big deals. But uh, a lot of times the money's spent as fast as it comes in and it kind of turns into an easy come, easy go thing. And I was one of those guys, right? I was making 20, 30, $40,000 a month. And a lot of it was going back into my business and a lot of it was going into fun things because at the time I was living in Los Angeles and there's lots of cool stuff to do there. Yeah. But when 2008 hit, what I realized is I didn't have a strong financial foundation, right? And so when that cash flow uh, sort of treadmill didn't have anything coming in the front end, but it was still going out the back end, started to empty out my bank account pretty fast. And, uh, and it was really scary. 
that made me really, really passionate about, Hey, I need, uh, I need to figure out some financial models that work here. I'm really good at the make money part, not so good about the keep it and grow it part. And, uh, and that, that was a big deal for me. And that kind of started me on this path, had a tough couple of years there and, and got on with a, a group that teaches financial strategy for business owners and spent about seven or eight years really cutting my teeth, working with thousands of business owners in there, uh, continued to do some real estate along the way, but uh, you know, really dedicated myself to, to learning this craft because we all think that there's probably some sort of correction, pullback, something coming, right? Nobody really knows. And coronavirus has definitely thrown a, a wrinkle in the whole thing. But when those things happen, because inevitably they do about every decade, how do we handle that? How do we have a financial structure that's going to work? How do we build stability and growth so that when you have that stability, you can really reach for the stars. When you're in that, I have to reinvent the wheel, get the new commission, find the new deal every single month. It's sometimes hard to make those long-term plans and really build something that lasts. So, so that's kind of how I got here was started working with business owners, realized I loved working with people more than I loved working with houses and uh, transitioned to this side and, and haven't really looked back. I still do some real estate and, and stuff here and there, but definitely I just find it so much more rewarding to work with people and, and teach this stuff. Yeah, very cool. I think you're right on. I mean, real estate is full of people that make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That, that being said, they usually spend, you know, 90% of them usually spend everything they make. So, I've so uh, you know, my wife runs a real estate team here in Utah and uh, I still get to uh, hold a few of her agents accountable, which actually helps me on the software side as well. <laughs> and uh, one of the things, one of the things I've been doing with them just so that they're not stressed about money is having them take 30% of every check and put it away for taxes and take it and put it in a separate bank account and yep. another bank account where they're paying them themselves first. And that might be 10%. It might be 20%, mm-hmm. but 50% of your check should be gone before you start just spending on your daily uh, expenses. Right. So I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And, and what you're doing is the smart thing. It's not just saying, oh, let it build up in one account, but literally making the separation so that mentally they're like, this is no longer my money. This is Uncle Sam's money because it is a big shock. I had a really good friend who, you know, his business went from, he was in the um, uh, kind of in the insurance business and his business went from like 125 to 250 to 400 to 800 year to year. And that 400 to 800, he was paying his quarterlies and he got a $250,000 bill at the end of the year for taxes and he didn't have it saved up. Right. And that's really scary. But with the structure that, you know, the simple thing that you're talking about there, you're prepared for that stuff and you know, this isn't my money and it really does help. And I think that helps people get out of that. You know, you can still live in that spend everything I make, as long as you pay yourself and you pay the government first. Yeah. Then you can spend everything. You don't have to have this discipline mindset in this. I've got tons of money sitting in my bank account, but I can only spend a few pennies sort of miserly thing. You can really live a robust life based on the actuality of the money that's yours to keep. So, so let's say we're paying ourselves first. We're paying 20%. We're paying 30% to the government. Our mm-hmm. other 50% is paying our bills with that 20% that I'm paying myself. What are some of the things you recommend we do with that? Yeah. So the first thing I think people need to have a savings account, right? Emergency savings. We think you should have three to six months worth of living expenses. I know that's not sexy, but if you don't have it and something like pandemic happens, right. And you don't make any money for 
three, four, five months can be really messy. So that's the first thing. Once you have a couple of months worth of savings and your mindset's good, we really like, and I know you're familiar with this because we talked before the, the call, we really like a foundational strategy we call uh, the money maximization model. A lot of people know it as the infinite banking concept, mm-hmm. but it's, a, it's essentially a place where you can store money inside of a properly structured life insurance policy, which sounds crazy, right? Because it's like life insurance, cash, what are you talking about? But you can store cash in there and you can get right now a 4% guarantee plus a dividend on top of that. And if you do it right, all that growth is tax-free. And what it essentially turns into is a really high uh, interest bearing type of uh, savings vehicle. I don't want to say savings account because it's a little different than that, but it's a place to store your cash, get good returns on it, and it's totally available for your business. So as you're building up cash, because I know a lot of real estate people, they want to have rental properties, they want to have other things, and a lot of them just can't seem to get the cash together to do it. This is how you do it. You systematize that savings into something like a life insurance policy um, where you can get that nice rate of return so it's not burning a hole in your pocket. There's a little separation there so you don't just go and spend it on the next pair of really nice jeans or tie or suit or whatever you want. Um, and once that money starts to build up, then you can use it to buy real estate or do some of the other things that, that you want to do. So when I hear life insurance policy, and don't get me wrong, I have several life insurance policies. <laughs> But when I hear life insurance policy, I automatically think of fees. So um, how how are the fees in something like this compared to the interest that you're making? Yeah. So the thing to know about life insurance is there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Just like real estate, right? You can pay full blast and get worked on everything, or you can really negotiate well and get great deals. So life insurance is the same thing. You want to make sure you're with the right type of company and you want to make sure that the policy is set up to minimize the fees and maximize the cash growth. And that's where a lot of things go wrong, right? There are a bunch of agents out there who are trained to do the max commission setup. They make the most and you get the least benefit. And I find that's really, really common. And most of the agents don't even know they're doing it. They just, that's how they were trained. So it's not like they're bad guys out there. They just, you know, it's just paying full retail for everything instead of getting, you know, getting something that's really set up. So if you set up the life insurance, right, um, the fees on it are, are all in the first two years, pretty much. And an easy way to think of it is this, and this hopefully this will work for people because people are familiar with the stock market. If you were paying 1% in the stock market, life insurance is kind of like paying 10 years worth of fees in the first two years. But after that, your fees are so much lower. And so what we find is if you're gonna do this as a long-term strategy, if it's gonna be more than 10 years, you're gonna be ahead or much. it's gonna be much cheaper to do life insurance than the stock market. And when you get out there, we've run the numbers out. If you get out to 40 years out on a 1% uh, stock market portfolio, it's actually going to cost you 10 times as much on the stock market side as it would on life insurance with the same contributions. So short term, the reason life insurance gets beat up a little bit sometimes is the fees are on the front end. Long term, they're way better, but short term, you're, you're paying a little more. And so that messes with people's head. And the other big thing, like I said, is if the policy set up incorrectly, you pay into it for two years and there's not any cash in there and that sucks. Yes. So when, when you set it up right, most of your cash will show up in cash value. I mean, some of it's still got to pay for insurance in the first two years, but, but yeah, okay. that's really where you see the fees. So I read something that uh, you were talking about the stock market being broken. I'd love to hear more mm-hmm. about that. I mean, most, I've kind of taken the Warren Buffett strategy with the stock market, which is 
invest in companies that you love and that you use every day. So the Amazons, the Apple, I have Apple everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Slack fan now. I use Slack every day. So like, those are the companies that just as an example that, that uh, I used to be a day trader kind of, or weekly trader anyway. Yeah. And uh, I found that if I would have just held those companies, you know, I would have, instead of the, you know, 300,000 I made one year, I'd now have $10 million, right. um, <laughs> you know, just, just in from that money in that bank account. So anyway, the, the market's been crazy for the last 15 years, essentially it's gone mm-hmm. way longer than anyone expected. I've been hearing for the last six years, it's going to crash and it just keeps going crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. So the, there's a couple pieces there. The, re- the reason I feel like the, the market setup is broken is that most brokers are not paid based on how well you do. They're paid by assets under management. So their job is to keep you with them, but you know, they're trying to make their quota. They're trying to make sure that they keep their job and, and do all of that. And the main problem is their interests are not aligned with your interests. And I, I hate it when we have a model like that because they make money even when you lose money. And so sometimes I feel like there's a disconnect. And a, a lot of times the way the system is set up is most investors who like automatically donate through a 401k, an IRA, a SEP, these kinds of things, they're doing it blindly. A lot of people put their money in there because they think they're getting tax, uh, tax advantages, right? Like, oh, if I put, in, put money into my SEP this year, I don't have to pay the taxes, but you're not saving taxes. You're just deferring them. Yeah. So you're going to pay them in the future. And we think a big thing that's broken with that is if you stop and think about it, we just passed another stimulus bill and there was one earlier this year. So, you know, we just basically added 20% to the national debt, which was already a problem. And we've got social security and we've got universal health care and, and some of these other things that are coming up. Do you think taxes are going to be higher or lower in the future? And so we feel like tying up your money as a business owner or as an independent agent, uh, only to pay taxes later when they might be higher doesn't seem like a, a winning strategy because a lot of times investment strategy is very closely a, tied to tax strategy, right? Some very, of our- Very interesting. That's uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think most of us believe that taxes are going to be significantly higher just here over the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way you're investing in the market, Brian, I don't have a problem with that because you're, you're being educated, Right. I think the big problem with the market is most people who put money in there don't know anything about it. And I think you could say the same thing about real estate. If people are buying property, like they don't know anything about it. They just go out and buy a property and try and rent it out. They're probably going to get in big trouble, right? Investing in anything you don't understand is a bad idea. It's not about the investment. It's about the investor, which is a kind of a Robert Kiyosaki cliche, but it's very true. And so we were- I mean, going out and just hiring somebody can, you can pay a tremendous amount of fees. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the Tony Robbins book that he talks about that in? Uh, Either Unshakable or Money Master the Game. Yeah, it was the Unshakable. Yeah. So, um, so, so anyway, I recommend everybody go, go read that book, but it really talks about how much you're paying in fees to that broker you're talking about. So, I mean, my, my, my belief, and this is just me, and uh, uh-huh. that, that doesn't mean it's right by any means, but uh, is, you know, go get a TD Ameritrade account. And if you don't know anything about the market, put your money in the S&P 500 and let it sit there for 20 years. And, you know, if you've got 20 years to do that, 
if you go back and look at the history of the S&P 500, you'll never see a 20 year decline. So, right, right. You know, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the biggest thing is this brand, like the market works, right? Yeah. The question is, is it the best thing for you to do? Because there are a lot of things that work better than the market, in my opinion. Yes. Um, and so the question isn't a matter of, does it work? It's just the opportunity cost of doing the market versus something else. Like, yeah. I, I truly I mean, believe it, it might be more risky too. More risky could be more reward. But so what are some of the other strategies you would recommend uh, as far as where do we put that money that we're, we're storing away for, yeah. for paying ourselves? Yeah. So some of it depends on your income bracket. And the, the first thing I'll say is my belief is this. My three rules of investing are invest in things you know about, things you care about, and things you control. Right. If you don't know about it, your chances of a good return are pretty low. So you need to be educated. If you want to invest in something, but don't know that much about it, your first investment is in your own education. You know, I spent $50,000 to learn to be a real estate investor, but it made me three or $4 million. To me, that's a good ROI. Right. So that's where I think a lot of people make the mistake is they don't want to get in, uh, educated first because they don't want to take the time. They want to get out there making money. And in return, they make a lot of bad decisions and cost themselves a lot more. So I think that's the first thing, things you care about. If you don't care about stuff, you don't pay attention. And if you don't pay attention, you don't usually get good results and things you control. One of the most disempowering things that can happen is to have your money in a place where you don't have control. And that is a problem for me with, with especially like the, the 401ks, IRA SEPs. People have money in there and the market crashes. You have no ability to control it. What are your options? You stay in or you sell, sell and you lose, right? But there's no control, at least with something like real estate. Um, and I keep coming back to that because it is one of my favorite investments for people who are educated around it. You can lower your rents. You can fix it up. You can structure, you know, creative financing. You can Airbnb it. You can clean up the yard. You can do a lot of things to have some control. I mean, nobody controls everything, but in your areas of expertise and knowledge, you have such a higher degree of impact and when you have that high degree of impact, you can get much better results. And so people always ask, what's the magic investment? It's you. The more you invest in your skills and knowledge, the better your results will be in certain areas. So I think you pick the areas that you want to spend time in and around, because if you're going to put money into it, you're going to pay attention to it. You're going to have to. So pick stuff that aligns with who you are as a human being, build your quality of life, and then just get really good at those. And sure, it might take a year or two to kind of get up to speed, but what is that price in the long scope of things to get to be around things you, you enjoy for the rest of your life instead of investments you have to put up with or deal with or whatever? If you love the stock market, that's great. Just get educated about the stock market. I just beat up on it because most people don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but real estate could be the same problem. Bitcoin could be the same problem. You know, gold and silver, all of that. Um, and I'll, I will say something here for, for the higher net worth people, Brian. If you make more than $200,000 a year, so you're an accredited investor, there's a whole nother spectrum of alternative investments out there. And I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not giving investment advice. This is just purely for awareness standpoint where you can do things like uh, trailer parks or low-income housing or um, cell phone towers or oil and gas and, um, or conservation easements or some of these things that come with tremendous tax benefits in addition to ROI, mm -hmm. right? So, so if you can get a write-off of 60 cents for every dollar you put, if you do like oil and gas or something right now, it looks like it's going to be between 60 and 90 cents. You get a write-off with some of these companies. 
plus your return on investment, like that tax savings basically guaranteed, right? So that's an automatic ROI. And then what you get on top of that, those are some places where you can start to build out like a little bit more diversified portfolio. And once again, don't do any of that until you're working with a, a good investor who can teach you about it and you have an educated background and you know what you're doing. But those are the kinds of things that you can get that nice rate of return while keeping risk much lower. If you stay in real estate, I mean, there's almost nothing better than real estate. You can get your dollars doing five or six jobs at once. You can just get tremendous tax benefits. So if you're a realtor, I think the first place you look, as long as you're interested in it, is some version of real estate. And there's a ton of things you can do. But if you real can find estate one, invest, when you say real estate, you're saying real estate investing, right? If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. Yeah, yeah. Owning some property or even if that's just being in REITs or being in, uh, you know, tenants in common or, or partnering up with people and being a money partner, but at least you're in an area that you understand, you can assess the risk. You can bring expertise or value to it. If, the, if it's not going well, you might be able to bring in some of your contacts. You just have so much more impact. So what you're really doing is reducing risk and increasing the upside. And I think the more you can do that in life, aligned with how you want to live your life, the better. So one of the things you just said that stuck out for me is, uh, you know, if you, can, if you can invest and save 60 to 90 cents on the dollar by going into oil, I mean do you want to pay your money to the government or do you want to pay it to yourself? Right. And if you're investing in yourself, you're actually saving that and what you're paying to the government and why not do that? So those are things we definitely need to learn about um, from, from people like yourself. So before we wrap up today, we'll, we'll obviously make sure everyone knows how to get a hold of you. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can, men I can mention another one that oh, I'll, yeah, I'll, go I'll ahead. mention one more thing that, I think this might apply and, and appeal to a lot of realtors because I know a lot of realtors like have a thing with aesthetic, right? They like pretty things. They like nice things. They're, they're marketing people, right? So uh, there is a strategy out there where you can actually buy art. You can hang on to that art for a couple of years and then donate it and, and get a massive write-off. And you can, you can turn that into a really nice, when you factor in the tax advantages, is a really nice ROI. This is a strategy I like to bring up because I love art. I love aesthetics. I love supporting artists. And this is a way where you can, you can literally pay in, you know, $50,000 and get $250,000 worth of art. And then as you donate it at the appraised value, you're getting $250,000 worth of write-off. So if you're in those three, four, $500,000 tax brackets, uh, it starts to make really good sense. If you're not there yet, maybe it's not your strategy and it does take a couple of years to come to fruition, but if you really want to, you know, put your money in a place where you can, you can do good and you can get tax write-offs and you can have some fun with it. That's a really cool strategy. Yeah. I've never heard that one. Thanks for sharing. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you, you were talking earlier about some research before the, before we, we went live today, you were talking about some research and development credits. Can you mm -hmm. tell us more about that? Because this is also something I was totally unaware of. I mean, yeah. I'm aware of it from a software perspective, but not from a realtor perspective. So yeah. So, so how the research and development credit works is the government likes to give you a refund on money that's spent towards things that improve technologies or, or science or medicine or whatever, and how that relates to uh, real estate companies. We found specifically with Keller Williams, but I think this is actually happening with a couple of different big groups 
is at the corporate level, they're doing these huge software build outs, right? These uh, analytics engines and all this kind of stuff where they're spending a tremendous amount of money. And if you're a franchisee and you pay them royalties or franchise fees, a lot of those research and development credits can roll back down to you because ultimately your dollars are paying for those. And so we've, we've had a couple of agents in the Midwest, uh, in the Chicago area, get some really big refunds on their Keller Williams franchises. So, um, or if you have some proprietary software that even if you use it for a small brokerage or whatever, if you're spending money on coding or any of, of, of those related activities, research and development credits may apply. And then, you know, I do a ton of it for doctors, dentists, those kinds of people, because that's pretty like straight down the middle. But for realtors, it's a big deal um, if, you, if you're with one of those groups that spend a bunch of money. So uh, it's worth finding out. And we have a company that'll do a free estimate and kind of dig into that and see if that's a possibility for you. But it's one of those things where you can get, I mean, the guy in Chicago has a massive office, so he got many multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars back. But, you know, even for my small, small offices that I work with, doctors, dentists, these kind of people, they're getting thirty to $75,000 back over a couple of years. So it's, it's pretty big money. Yeah. Okay. Very, very cool stuff. So what are, what are the biggest financial mistakes you're seeing people make? Well, uh, the first one is, we kind of have talked about it, investing in things they don't understand, yeah. right? Super obvious. Um, paying way overpaying in taxes, right? So like if you're, a, if you're an agent, one of the things that you probably want to be aware of is A, you want to have the right corporate entity structure, but you can take a lot of your income that you don't have to go out and generate from your own personal commissions. And you can take that as dividends, right? And if you take some of those dividends, you don't pay self-employment tax on that. So that'll save you seven and a half percent right there, right off the top. So if you've got a big office with a bunch of agents and you guys are running, you know, let's say you make a million dollars this year and, you know, half a million is your own personal production and the other half you could take as dividends. That's a lot of extra money that, you know, $20,000, $30,000 that you're not going to be paying in that uh, self-employment tax that goes straight to the bottom line. So that's a really, really uh, common one I see is people are just taking everything as salary and commissions and none of it is dividends. So uh, that's, that's super big. Um, if you're in commercial real estate or you happen to own your building or own other buildings, you want to know about cost segregation. You know, that's more well-known by real estate investors, but essentially what cost segregation is, it's taking your building and reassessing it rather than it being depreciated as real estate. They go and reassess it as equipment and you can depreciate that you know, the equipment pieces at seven, seven years, 10 years, 15 years versus 30 to 40 years worth of depreciation. So you don't get more depreciation, you just get it sooner. Mm -hmm. And so money today that you can invest or you can use to grow your business is worth a whole lot more than money 30, 40 years down the road. So that's another really common mistake. I see, you know, business owners and I'm spe being specific to real estate here. And then of course, for real estate people, if you're not filing as a real estate pro, you got to be doing that, right? So you can get get some of those advantages. What what do you, so, what do you mean by that? Filing as a real estate pro. So you you can file as a as a real estate professional as opposed to just uh, a regular person. And real estate professionals get some some uh, additional tax benefits on that. Basically, like if you own rental properties, you can take. Um, and there's a couple levels of real estate professional. So I won't go super deep into it, but essentially you can take passive losses on like re real estate write off, uh, sorry, real estate depreciation against your active income. 
Okay. Now, yeah. do you actually do, do you pre prepare taxes there or tell me, tell me about what you guys do at your company? Because as I'm sitting in there listening, I'm going, okay, nobody should file taxes without talking to you. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm a strategist. I am not a CPA. I have CPAs who get in and, um, and dig through the trenches because sometimes we look at something and it's like, Hey, this totally should work. And then we get in and we go, but if you do this, then you can't do that. And that creates a problem. So, you know, everything here is sort of theoretical and broad strokes, mm -hmm. but, but we do have a couple of uh, different people. I have a CPA that's really specified for medical people and whatever, but I do have a, a CPA that I work with. He's got a pretty big firm that they do a lot of work with real estate investors and, and real estate professionals so they can help advise on that stuff. But yeah, there's probably seven to 10 really obvious strategies, you know, most people know about home offices, but most people may not know about, you can pay your kids, right? If you're using them in your marketing, yep. um, you can also what is use it like up to $12,000 per year or something. Yeah. 12, 12, five. 12, and the five. way you, the way you can justify that. So where people get in trouble is they just pay them ki their kids and don't do anything with it. And listen, if your kid's a seven-year-old, can you really pay him $12,000 to sweep up and take out the garbage? No, you can't. What you need to do is you use them in your social media. And then you can pay them for their image, their likeness, like a model or a spokesperson, and they can be part of your brand, right? So you can pay your kids. And essentially what that does is it gets money out of the business and into your personal account. I know a lot of realtors, you have a sole proprietorship. Honestly, if you're making much money, if you're, if you're bringing home more than 60, $70,000 a year, you probably want an S corp so that you can do a little bit more separation there. And as you make more money, take some as dividends and some of these other kinds of things. Um, another thing you can do is if you own your primary home, you can rent out your home up to 14 days a year and you don't have to pay income taxes on that income. It's affectionately known as the Augusta rule. And it's called that cause it was, it, you're saying rent it out to yourself for corporate meetings and things like that, right? Yes. You, you don't have to do that. Like you can Airbnb it or do whatever you want during Sundance if you're here in Utah or high season, but most people don't want to do that. So the way you, you do it is you use it for business things. You use it for retreats or trainings for your team. You have clients over you, you know, whatever you can do where you would have to go and rent a conference room or an event center, normally rent your house and use that and have your business pay your pay you. And that money can come in income tax free. And just once again, it's just a way to get some money out of the business into your pocket without having to pay taxes on it, but you got to document it, you know, have a lease agreement get some quotes from conference centers or, or hotels or whatever in the area so that you can say, Hey, we were using a thousand square feet. Here's what it would cost me over there. And just document this stuff, back it up. Don't just shoot for, you know, shoot from the hip. That's how you go from the gray area to making this stuff black and white is, is you document it and you, you, you do it properly. You don't just say I did this thing when you didn't, right. That's where people get in trouble. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just taking a few notes here. So um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about fear of money for a minute because okay. the fear of money drives a lot of people. I was in a training, oh, it's probably been close to 15 years ago now, but the, the trainer brought $100,000 cash in. Oh, wow. Cool. And said, you know, does anyone want to come up here and touch it, feel it, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And of 30 people in the room, there are only about four people that actually wanted to go pick this money up, hold it in their hands. Oh, interesting. And there was a message there, right? Uh, uh -huh. 
and and the message has to do with you know the fear of money um and uh i've actually been been working with a few of my wife's agents who just doubled their income last year mm -hmm. uh, but they could have quadrupled it except for they had some mental thing that said oh doubling my money is the most i can do in a year Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. or my income, I should say doubling my income. So, so anyway, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on all of that. Yeah. You know, the, the best way I heard it explained, I think it was a Tony Robbins things from way back, but I've, I've seen it to be true is we all sort of have an internal thermostat, right? And some of us have this with our weight, right? Like you feel like you're getting a little chubby over the holidays and you're like, you know, I should eat a little better, work out a little more. And then you kind of get back to your normal place. If you get a little too thin, you're like, ah, oh, I can loosen up a little bit and you kind of come back down to where you were. So people have, I think, a worthiness meter in their own mind about what they're worth financially, right? And so if you start making more than that, then some people have a tendency to self-sabotage or feel like they're not worth it and they miss opportunities, they drop the ball and kind of come back down. And so the, the key here is, I think, really working on what you believe that your services or what you provide or what you're worth as a human, right? Human beings yeah. don't have like a, a really tangible worth. They're kind of unlimited depending on who you ask in their family, right? But uh, but yeah, learning how to turn that that thermostat up because what you believe you're worth is where you'll have a tendency to gravitate. And listen, I, I went through this in a big, big way, right? I was making, not like crushing it money, but three, four, $500,000 a year back in four, five, six, you know, 2004, five, six, seven. Um, and then I made zero for a couple of years and it just ripped out my self net worth, right? Like I really, I really had a problem after that being around wealthy people for a period of time because I felt unworthy and it, it took a lot of work on myself and realizing that how much money I have in the bank account right now has nothing to do with my ability to create value for other people in the world. And I had to like relearn that. And as I relearned that my income has skyrocketed, but but there's no, no question about it. You know, on a personal level, one of the things that, um, that I've done this year is we've really taken it on to get on video and this was pre pandemic, but I, I think I had a little bit of an issue of like, am I, you know, I'm not the youngest, sexiest, coolest. I'm not the richest person in the world. I do great financially, but, um, am I really worthy to get on video and be giving advice and helping people and doing all this stuff? And that had been holding me back. And that was old stuff from 2008, 2009, that the bigger the game you play, the more the microscope comes out on this stuff and it really gets into you. So I think being aware of that and moving toward the things that scare you and, and that's where, you know, sort of the, the, the positive mindset and some of that stuff really does work over time. Right. I did a lot, I did a lot of what they call mirror work. And I know this is kind of maybe deep or whatever, but like literally looking at yourself in the mirror and and pr programming yourself to some extent to re-believe the things that you know to be true, because yeah. I think a lot of it got buried for me. And I see a lot of people with it and you can definitely see people who you see the momentum start and then they sabotage and then it starts and then they sabotage or they give up or, or whatever. And that's that subconscious worthiness coming up. And I think people have this thing of like, if I become successful, people are going to look at me. And if they look at me, are they going to like what they really see? Right at least for me, that's what it was, is if I show people, if I go out there and put myself out there and then people go, wow, I look up to Derek and he's this awesome guy and he has all these things going, but what if they see the cracks, right? Well, we all have cracks. 
What if they see the imperfections? What if they see this stuff? And I had to let go of all that and just say, you know what? It's not my job to be perfect. It's my job to get out there and do everything I can to help people and let the, let them decide what I'm worth. But I know that the value that I create in the world is worth it. And I really had to dig in on that because it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it. And, and it takes time. Well, Derek, that's well said. There's no doubt from the information you've shared with mm-hmm. us in this short 40 minutes, <laughs> uh, just how much value you do bring. I'd like to add a little bit to that uh, because sure. I've, I've experienced that in my life and I know my spouse has, and I, I think everybody has where, you know, you start out and you have this thing of everyone has this thing, especially in real estate at first, they want to make a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. And then they, and then they want to make 300,000 and they get to 300,000. It's like, like you were saying, some people make 300,000, 10 years in a row yeah. because that's where they're comfortable. That's their thermometer. It, all you have to do to take that 300,000 to a million is raise that thermometer, right? Raise mm-hmm. the belief of what you feel you deserve. Yeah. And so, so anyway, that's very well said. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think I could sit around here and talk to you all day about things. Is there um, any like crucial advice? What's the best advice that you could give a real estate business owner about their finances today? Yeah. If, if we're keeping it really short and concise, it's not about how much you make. It's about how much you keep. Real estate people are really good at making money, not very good at keeping it. So the best thing I can say is you need a system to be able to help you keep more money and grow it. If you don't have the system, just like if you don't have a system for working out, if you just do it when you feel like it, you never really get in shape. Same thing happens financially. If you don't have a system or a plan that you're following and a regiment, you'll just never get there. You'll never get over the hump. You'll always make good money, but you'll never really have money. And that's, that's the best thing I can say is you need, you need a system. Okay. Awesome. I have a few quick questions that I like to ask a lot of our guests, um, just about just some basic things. What's your, what's your favorite book or favorite source of learning? Um, God, so many good books. Uh, the one that I really read that, that resonated this year, it's kind of in my, my favorite book is, uh, Atomic Habits. Have you read that one by James Clear? I, I have not read that, but I've had people tell me that. So yeah, it's, it's really good. One of the, my favorite quotes from that is you, you don't rise to the level of your willpower. You sink to the level of your systems, right? So he's just an advocate of having systems and habits to support you in the growth that you want. Yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing that. What's your favorite place to visit? Um, hmm. Right now I'm really missing San Diego because I used to live there, but probably more generically a sailboat. I have fallen in love with sailing. I used to race sailboats until I, I moved away from San Diego and I really, really miss it. So if I could be anywhere, that's where I'd be right now. Hmm. Very fun. Um, we are actually sailing uh, the, the Virgin Islands in cool. March for my, for my wife's 40th birthday. So that'll be uh, awesome. What is your favorite thing to do in your spare time? And maybe it's sailing. <laughs> Sailing's up there. Um, I, I really like art. Like I'm a, I'm a painter and uh, I do a little bit of drawing and stuff, but just creating things is probably the, the better thing. And that kind of rolls into, I'm also a, a West coast swing dancer and I love to create dances with people. It's really, really, really fun to partner dance. Oh, very cool. Okay. So how do people best get a hold of you, Derek? Um, I'm guessing there are a lot of people 
actually listening to this show that are going to want to get a hold of you. And once they do, like what what's the steps to to actually working with you and gaining value from your services? Yeah. So of course they can find us at biglifefinancial.com. If you want to set an appointment, there's either a button up in the corner that says work with us, uh, which is really to set an appointment, not that you have to work with us. Um, or you can go to biglifefinancial.com forward slash appointment, all lowercase, and uh, that'll let you set a time on my calendar. So my process is there's a system to it, but there's a lot of customization. First call is usually just to get to know you and your, your situation so that we can identify a, can I help you? And B, what, you know, how can we help you? Uh, we do have a structured program where we take people through A to B, A to Z, you know, through taxes and through savings and through growth and through uh, building a portfolio and all of that kind of stuff. But we also have some, some informal things where if you just need one or two things, if you're doing a pretty good job in a couple of areas, then we'll, we'll take you through that. So it's an assessment up front and then it's a a recommendation on how we should work together, the key pieces that, that you need uh, or that we've identified where we can help. And then we, uh, we engage accordingly, whether it's with myself or, or someone on my team. I work with most real estate people myself because that's a passion of mine and area of expertise. But you know we are continuing to grow the team. And I do have a couple of people who have uh, investment and real estate experience on the team. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So everybody go to biglifefinancial.com. You can schedule to, to uh, meet with Derek there and have them review your situation and, and get some custom advice based on that. So yeah. uh, again, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Don't forget to give us a review and to click that little subscribe button. That way you'll get notified every time we release a new podcast, as well as uh, giving us good reviews helps us get better guests like Derek. So Derek, thanks again for joining the show. It's been great having you on today and uh, great to get to know you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your set of fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.